Welcome to Deal or No Deal. Today, Raf is with us today, and we have a suitcase for him. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. Okay. <clears throat> What's the deal? You give me $5 million now, uh-huh. and when you die, uh-huh. I'll give you $5 million back. Uh, Believe it or not, this relates to the movie we're going to talk about today. I'm trying to figure out if this is worth it for me. So, hmm. if you give me the $5 million after I die... That's kind of like a life insurance type thing. Do I get... Who gets the money? Don't think that far ahead. Mm. Deal or no deal? No deal! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our podcast, Couch Theater. Yep. Today we're going to talk about a movie that came out called The Green Knight. We both came into the movie. We didn't do any research on it, really. I, I had no idea what the th- plot was or what the themes were. Um, but it turns out it's actually based off of an old, very old poem or, or story, right? Folklore. Like a, a, a notorious legend, basically. Mm. Um, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. By the way, we're talking about the Green Knight. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a really old poem about, you know, uh, Arthur's nephews and his knights and just being tested. And I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, assuming that you guys watched the movie, I guess we could maybe go over a few points that are similar to the original. Yeah, I I don't know what's similar and what's okay. not about the original. <laughs> so it is similar in the sense that there is a knight named Gawain, and I don't know how to pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. There is on Christmas Day a guy who pairs called the Green Knight, mm-hmm. and he off offers this challenge, or we should call it game. And the game is basically, you know, a blow for a blow. And so Gawain, in the original story, also does uh, try to cut his head. I don't know if it goes all the way through or something like that. I think it went all the way through, yeah. And in a year's time, he's supposed to come back, go to a green chapel to meet the Green Knight. And the Green Knight is going to return that blow, right? And that's basically that. And there's some journey there. Another common thing I, I guess I should just highlight the story, if you watch the movie with the Lord and with the, the lady, that's also a prevalent uh, part of the story in the original text, mm-hmm. I believe. But we can just leave it at that yeah. and move on to the actual movie. Yes. This adaptation of So Gawain and the Green Knight is brought to you by Lysol. Get your Lysol today. <laughs> I thought we were going to choose something green. Oh. Hmm. Brought to you by... Eco-friendly straws. They suck. Get it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, by A24 Films, which is the movie house responsible for Lighthouse, Uncut Gems, a bunch of other, I think, Birdcage, no, not Birdcage, uh, I can't remember, but a bunch of very... uh, Artistic. Artistic movies. They're definitely uh, sort of the old school form of cinema where they, they have directors coming into like give you a vision of something there there's they're not trying to make sequels no they're not trying to make a franchise they're not doing any of that they're just giving you that old school movie experience you know of the Scorseses and yeah um, those kind of directors of the past so that's what they're all about this was like Sam said I went into it also pretty blind I knew I haven't seen bits of the trailer I knew there was an exchange some sort of exchange um, I knew Dev Patel was in it. That's about it. So, after like the first five minutes, I was like, oh, 
this is not what I was expecting, but I'm down for the ride. I hadn't seen anything by A24 before, so I didn't really know what to expect. But yeah, overall, I'd say it was good. Yeah, it was a really good movie. And say like positives, negatives, non-spoiler version? I would say the pacing is pretty interesting. It's a bit slower than what we're used to in modern day film, but I like it because it gives you time to really dig deep into exactly the power the dynamics between the words that our people are speaking, right? It, instead of being bloated to let, we need to move on to the next point. We need to move on to the next point of the plot. It's more take time to understand what is going on behind the characters' minds through the small actions that they take, not not necessarily huge, always drastic actions, but through the small ones as well. Any other thoughts you would have? Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of that, I'd say that was interesting to me, but it's definitely one of those things that's like not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, and also probably depends on your mood. You yes. might just not be in the mood for that kind of thing, or you might be in the mood for it. I would say I really enjoyed like the world building that this did. Mm. It was, you know, there were definitely different parts as the, you know, the pacing sort of meandered in places, it definitely visually and just verbally, you know, you hear little bits of things that just kind of paint this picture of what this world looks like beyond this character's journey. And I don't know, I, I enjoyed that. It, it was some, something that I can imagine could easily get cut out of this movie and you, you don't really lose anything like in terms of the plot and the characters, but you probably lose something in you know, just the whole vibe of yeah, the entire movie. It was, uh, I believe, what is the term? It's like a soft magic? Soft magic? I think soft magic is the different thing. I'd say this, well, maybe the term you're looking for is like the iceberg approach or something like that. Like they show you a couple of things here and there just to make you fill in the blanks of yeah. what the rest of this world can have. They, they don't really explain all the fantastical elements to it. True, right? true. Which is sometimes really nice because you get to, into a sort of novelty. A lot of more things when they try to explain everything it's something that they piggyback off like you know yeah. the, the idea of the force you know people would take that idea yeah. and you heard it before this allows you to not give you a sense of wonder that you you're not sure what's going to happen next could some naked titans show up perhaps <laughs> you know uh, for the record they kind of do <laughs> yeah there's this the sequence where there's just giants walking and they very much look like the titans from attack on titan and it is so weird that was world building i guess but what purpose did that serve in that story none not that we know of, yes. not that we know of i really doubt that was in the original too <laughs> but overall i thought the performances were good as well mm. uh dev patel was pretty good yeah the alicia vikanda vikander who plays two different characters. Who plays two different characters. I thought she she probably had the best performance mm. in the entire thing. Overall, solid performances from everyone. Good visuals. I'd say if you're in the mood for a trippy movie, it's not trippy is not the right term, but it is kind of a trippy movie. A movie where you're not there to. If you're having to, an existential crisis, this is probably not the movie. <laughs> it captures that mood yeah it <laughs> definitely captures saying. that mood there, there's i don't know what the mood is but you definitely need to come into this with like different expectations than like going into watch mm -hmm. avengers or something like that yeah but i would say it was solid nine out of ten do we want to do a quick breakdown of the actual movie just of what happens yeah we can certainly with, try without talking about any symbolic elements or anything yet Gawain, who is our main character, played by Dave Patel, is the nephew of a king. He's also a knight, but he's a young knight 
who hasn't really accomplished anything yet. So story starts off with him just sort of being a guy in a, in a town who's, you know, probably destined to be king or something, but he hasn't really accomplished anything yet. And then the Green Knight shows up and offers this dealer this game, and he takes that up. Probably not really understanding what he was getting into, mm-hmm. and then he strikes, he strikes it and chops off his head, and then he, he has to face the consequence of in a year's time he's gonna have to meet this guy and have him chop off his head. And you know the year passes really quickly, and then he goes on this journey. I suppose he so he meets one guy, a kid, mm-hmm. presumably, and the kid gives him directions and tells him to go in this other direction actually and. He takes his word for it and then gets ambushed by the kid and his friends. Are we just going to jump into spoilers now? I guess so. We got to if we're going to cover all the symbolic themes and all that. Yeah, I just, I guess, could give it like a nice break point of like, if you still want to see the movie without us like going into detail, this would be the point to hop off. (laughs) Yes. We'll give you two seconds. One. Two. Um, Yeah, so, and then he gets ambushed. They take the axe from him. The axe is something that the green uh, knight wields. Uh, and he's left alone, and he finds a way to untie himself. Uh, finds a house called Miss w- Winifred. Saint Winifred. Saint Winifred's house, who turns out to be a ghost, and he has to find her skull in a, in a pond or whatnot, right? Yeah. Some weird imagery there. I'm not going to go in, get into that right now. But he finds the skull places on the bed and presumably she's released or something like that. Then he meets, I think, some trolls. Eventually he hits the important part, which is a a castle of the Lord, the Lady, and this old woman who has a blindfold on. Actually, I think he passes out or something, right, before he gets there? Yeah. Because he's not, he wakes up in the castle. I can't remember exactly what happened right before. Right before was the interlude, which had the giants and stuff, so Something happened at the end of that. I think he ends up falling down or passing out anyway. Anyway, he wakes up at the castle with the lord and lady and the blind woman. They tell him, you're just a day's journey from from the, the green, green chapel. chapel. And he's he tells him it's December 21st. So he's got a lot of time. So he can rest here and recover. And they're sort of just being great hosts. But the lady is definitely being sensually testing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I- <laughs> And the, the, the Lord is, I, know, I guess, just being a jolly old fellow. He goes out hunting, and it's definitely a weird scene because the, the lady is definitely showing up a lot. She does this weird painting that's kind of like a photograph of him. Upside down. Yeah, but she like uses light to like capture an immersion. It uh, is kind of like a photograph. Yeah. Uh, but that notwithstanding, the Lord sort of tells him that to make a deal with him, because everything's about deals in this world, and... He will give him the best he gets from the hunt he's going on if he gives him whatever thing he happens to come across in his house or gain in his house. He ends up, basically, the, the lady comes to him in the morning and she has the girdle. So I guess if we backtrack all the way to the beginning, before he goes on the journey, his mother gives him this girdle and tells him, as long as you have this on, you're basically indestructible and can't be killed by anything. And then he loses that in the forest when that guy, the bandit sort of yeah. bandit him. And now this lady has a girdle. How does she have it? We don't know. She claims to have made it herself. So maybe it's a different girdle, but probably not. <laughs> and he really wants this back because he's about to go to the temple. He would really like to be indestructible. And she once again offers an exchange where she'll give it to him if he given to his desire. 
Yeah, like some sort of lust. Given to his lust. And she also is played by the same actress who plays his love interest before he leaves town. I think that's supposed to indicate to us that he finds her attractive without him like doing anything weird. So he does give in to his lust and they have what is either the weirdest sex ever or she's just giving him. Yeah. <laughs> in either in either way, in exchange, she gives him the girdle. He gives him right? the girdle and then she she tells him he's he has no honor. Yeah. Oh no, he's no knight. But now he has the girdle and then he sort of panics. He turns around, I think he sees the blind lady there probably feels bad about this runs out of the house clip clop clip clop and then comes across the lord and the lord is saying have you, have you come across anything in my house and he's like nope and then the lord sort of intuits that he has and tries to take what was given which is the uh sensual testing <laughs> the, yeah through, through a kiss <laughs> through a kiss and then he stops him and then the lord sort of also senses that there's more that he has that he should be given but he doesn't give him the Lord instead of giving him his greatest catch of the day he just lets it go but the catch is the fox which has been following him around anyway so it's like yeah did this really matter not really and then they move on he comes to a river and a little boat there where he can cross to go to the chapel and the fox turns on him and tells him to stop and go back around he that the green knight you know basically doesn't mess around and is going to kill him and he's like uh, my honor, I'm a knight, I must, etc. And the fox tells him to take off the girdle and he says, no. And then they, they spat and he crosses. Yeah. He crosses and... He, he gets yeah. essentially to the green chapel and eventually faces the, him and runs away for his own life. Then has like a little time period of where it shows like his future. Yeah. Of him becoming a king and him like not being nice to the... To, to the love interest from yeah. the beginning, I forget her, the character's name. Essel. Not being super nice to her, and probably, I guess, what it's showing is, like, he comes back and, like, he's carrying this burden of, like, having not done the thing. Yeah. But everyone thinks he has done the thing, so he feels, like, conflicted, and he's probably, like, slowly becomes not the person he wanted to be, but a very, like, shallow version of that, and even that shallowness sort of gets stripped away over time, and... He becomes reviled, yada yada Sounds yada. Sounds like interpretation. The interpretation? I mean, the, the, what else am I gonna do <laughs> Just, <laughs> with this movie? <laughs> Anyhow, it turns out, right, he dies <laughs> due to a siege, and it turns out he, he was actually still at the Green Chapel. Mm-hmm. He removes his a gurgle, girdle, and accepts death. Are we giving people a play-by-play of what happened in the movie they have presumably seen without giving them any interpretation? Well, let's talk about the yeah, let's talk about the symbols now. Which one would you like to cover first? You know, take it away. What symbol do you want to cover? Okay, the one I have the hardest with, and this might be because I'm colorblind, mm-hmm. is the colors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does green symbolize? Nature. Nature is one. It also sounded like, due to uh, the lady's rant about color, she said green represents the thing after red, the thing after lust, after desire, like the acceptance of reality or something. I don't know. I I think it still falls under nature because this is all that remains. Once before a man comes and has all his impulses and his desires, you have nature. And after a man comes and after he's done all the things he's going to do, he's going to die. And nature will reassert itself because mm. you can't you can fight it for a little bit but it will always win kind of thing which might 
dovetail into like a different thing of like that honor versus nature or honor versus sort of your baser instincts mm-hmm. like he is going on this journey trying to basically be a knight and uphold those virtues mm-hmm. but throughout the entire time he's just a guy and a young guy who hasn't really experienced much and he's he's stumbling across the way he's you know falling into kind of obvious traps laid by bandits and like given into his carnal desires and all of that stuff and he's sort of you basically he's failing his way forward he's not a bad person there's a conflict there i guess yeah yeah green seems to represent you know quite a bit would you say nature in the sense just physical nature or nature in the sense of reality the way things are i'd say the latter just the way things are the way things the way things are when you're not you know actively trying to assert mm-hmm. some other order on top of things i see yeah i w- i think i could agree with that another mm-hmm. simple yeah. symbol would be the girdle um it's a very hmm, like achilles heel type thing i saw it more as the symbol only makes sense in context with him i think it kind of symbolizes his desire to live mm-hmm. because it, yeah it offers protection and stuff but i think the true symbol is that him holding on to it is him having a desire to live and you were talking about like how he wrestles with that basic more basic instincts which is the, the desire to live versus upholding honor or upholding the knight chivalry all that stuff that's kind of the sash is green it is green which is something uh, he did wear green right throughout the i think so i think he was wearing green for I, a good bit i was i'm not sure. trying to tell I have to say, I was not paying too much attention to what colors they were wearing throughout the entire thing. He's basically tied himself down with it. It's literally tied around his waist. And I, I don't want to say he's he doesn't want to live when he takes off the satch, more that he's accepted that death is an outcome. Death is better than giving up everything he stands for. Initially, he's holding on to the sash above everything else. That is because he wants the sash that he you know, is sensually tested <laughs> kind of thing. And then eventually it's like this, if I live and, you know, become everything I did not want to be, then what was the point of living? Yeah. Which is sort of the journey he goes on through in that, in the temple. Yeah. Temple. So he, ho- he holds on to both simultaneously. He tries to keep both for the longest time in the journey, right? Yeah. He's trying to uphold that nobility, He or he wants to, right? And because like when he's talking to the you know the lord asks him why are you doing this journey and he's like for honor yeah for no chivalry right to be that that good knight but at the same time he also holds on to the sap uh the girdle he's holding on to both at the same time and he has to let go of one yeah at, towards the end what did you think of just that whole section with winifred so here's a weird thought i don't know if that's in the original story mm-hmm. but I kind of felt like there was a parallel with Ebenezer Scrooge okay. with this story. So, uh, especially with since there's spiritual elements. So, in Ebenezer Scrooge, you have the ghost of the past, right? That shows him about the past. You have the ghost of the present, who is a more jolly figure. And then you have the ghost of the future, that basically, in a way, is death. Death himself. Um, showing him the ultimate like you cannot escape death so here's the parallel i think winifred in many ways 
well, not in many ways, in one way, <laughs> symbolizes that kind of ghost of the past. It's her, it's in, it's her story, right? She's dead, but she needs her bones to be put together, laid out on a bed or something for her to be at peace. At peace, right? So there's there's a dealing of with the past there, and then when you get to the the castle with the lord and the lady. The Lord very much is a more of that, like he's a hunter, joyous figure. I've watched Ebenezer cartoons and felt like he was that kind of gave me that vibe. And then finally you hit the Green Knight, which is, we'll talk about it maybe more later, but represents death, right? In many ways, the inevitability of death. Descendable thing. Yeah, which, so I don't know if that's true or not, but I felt like these stories kind of almost connected a little bit with with that parallel and whereas Ebenezer Scrooge has this teaches more like virtue I'm not entirely sure that the lesson here is about virtue I don't know that they were shooting for a specific message I don't know I just don't feel like that it came away I mean I guess there there's more prominent themes of like acceptance and stuff like that like obviously by the end of it he takes off the the girdle and that that says something but I don't know if they're necessarily saying he should not have followed the the bandit, the bandit's direction. Are, are they saying he should have been more kind? Are they saying he should have been less kind? Are they saying he should have been more like you know, uh, scrutinizing of what people were telling him, like more intelligent? Are they saying he should have been more aggressive when they showed up and like fought more? Like what? I don't think the movie's really telling you this is what he should have done. They're just saying here's this inexperienced guy, and here's how he landed here, and leaving it for you to like take what you want to take from it I well yes I would agree that I don't think it's saying how a person should act yeah. I think what they're trying to tackle more is you're talking about nature I think how about we delve more into what the movie says about human nature because there's titles that show up on the screen and it's kind of like in the calligraphy and it's hard to read but it's very hard to read I have most of them except the last two okay but like there's one about kindness and uh, that's with the boy that ambushes him right yeah so I think the movie toggles a lot about the idea that the main character initially initially I think operates under the assumption that there is kindness in the world we also see that with him and Esso like Esso genuinely seems to love him um, so there's this basic human, we see this kind of like what we see in movies where there, there's the idea that kindness exists in this world, the idea that love exists in this world. But if we break it down, the movie, I think there's a lot about the human instinct or human nature being driven by utility, by being driven by the idea of exchange. I was going to say, I think that's like what you just said is more it because I while he's not an unkind person at the start, I think the movie was saying that kindness is sort of an afterthought for him mm. because he is, he, you know, he is in a sort of relationship with Essel, but she is, you know, a prostitute. And she definitely loves him and is trying to get more out of the relationship. He's definitely not reciprocating that or I don't know if he's leading her on or yeah. is just trying to have fun, but he's not doing anything there and then when when he's traveling he comes across this the bandit guy and the guy offers him directions and he's sort of just like 
thanks, and walks away. And he's sort of leaving this way. He's walking take, through a place where... He takes where, his, uh, his word for it. Yeah, he takes his word for it, but also, like, he just walked through this battlefield where there's a bunch of dead bodies. He comes across this person who's presumably in grief, and he just takes his, his word for it and moves on. And he doesn't in any way attempt to help him until the guy calls him out for it, and then he tosses him a coin. So it's not that he's mm. unkind, but, like, he's not thinking about how he can help other people. Yeah. It's more it's like he's trying to get something but not necessarily trying to give something back. Uh, yeah, and the whole movie is just a bunch of exchanges, right? The, yeah. the whole game about like blow for blow, that's an exchange, right, of blows. Um, and then you have that exchange where with him and the bandit where the bandit expects something in return for what he has given him, even though it's wrong. There's that ex- expectation. And when he meets Miss Winifred, yeah. the ghost, she's asking him to get the skull and he's like what do I get in exchange for that and she's like why would you even ask that why would you ever ask that (laughs) and at the castle there's an exchange right with the woman the lady there's an exchange with the lord and so there's I think a lot there's a theme of exchange and I think what it's trying to say is that humans don't operate under kindness per se they operate under exchange, under yeah. utility. Like there's no no true altruistic, you know, motivation behind yeah. anything. It's always some form of exchange. Yeah, I I forget who came up with it, but there was a philosopher or somebody who talked about utilitarianism, right? That people want to maximize their own best gains, and they want to minimize the amount of pain they have or the amount of loss they have, and every interaction with human. Are rationally calculated basically under that like do I gain anything from this relationship yeah, yeah I think we're talking about the calculus of, of benefit or something like that yeah there's no altruism essentially right? yeah. yeah what about death death oh man I have some thoughts but I'd like to hear yours first I honestly don't have too much thoughts about it because I feel like death in a story is usually just I think it's hard to do anything with death as a theme in a story without it being this looming, you know, inevitable thing mm-hmm. that you have to accept or that you will struggle against. And I feel like that's what we saw here. Like he struggled against it, and in the end, he had to accept it. And I don't know if I've ever seen the death theme played out in a different way. <laughs> so usually, with death as a theme doesn't do too much for me. Yeah, I mean, it does. Some, I mean, it's obviously very important, but it's it's not bringing anything new to the table. So the whole idea of nobility, of aspiring for greatness, that was actually bestowed upon him by the king. When he gave the exchange and you know he was told that in a year's time he needs to go to this green chapel, I was like, what if you just don't go? So yeah, I have a cookie theory about that. This is probably me just extremely reaching, but when he had that vision of the future, when he ran away, at the end of it, he's sitting in his throne room and like his kingdom was being attacked and like and I felt that that was the Green Knight that, that like what had been happening to his kingdom this entire time was you know the Green Knight's nature or whatever coming back to collect and he was decapitated so that's why I think the Green Knight represents uh, yeah I think Green Knight represents death or nature the de- deathly nature <laughs> death. <laughs> like it, so I think that's the point because he imagines kind of like what it's like if he escapes this one solution but the point of life is that you can't escape death itself right Mm -hmm. no matter what you try 
you know, especially his life where he's now doesn't trust people. He's not going to be kind, really. His life is pretty pointless, even though he's a king, even though he lays siege to others. Eventually, death comes to him no matter what. And it's only after that, realizing that, that he's able to accept death at the very last scene. Yeah. It's not the idea of honor. It's the idea that you can't escape him. So that's a very good point, I think. The, the whole year thing, it doesn't, the story says it doesn't really matter if he didn't go to it. Yeah, that it, it would come eventually. Uh, and he does say when, when, the, when the knight tries to swing at him and he flinches, he says, you've had a whole year to prepare. And he says, you know, it doesn't matter if it's been a year or a hundred years. Mm-hmm. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't change anything. That line was really good. Yeah. That was juicy. The what I've thought about a lot is the fox. And I have not come to any reasonable conclusions about what the fox is. Because usually a fox is supposed to be cunning. But the fox here was kind of just a companion that was maybe trying to lead him the right way? Question mark? I wish... I So I was not able to decipher anything about the fox. People... I should say Wikipedia. <laughs> um, Wikipedia is a lot of people, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, I think one idea is that the fox in many ways represents himself. Hmm. And so the fox talking is like that internal dialogue, that internal conflict that's happening with him. It's like, do I even have to show up to the Green Chapel, right? Do I have to do this? I could just leave. And then he chooses, through that internal conflict, he chooses to do it. The fox definitely stopped those giants from crushing him. So, that scene was so out of left field. I'm unable to decipher any coherent meaning out of that scene. (laughs) The world is much bigger than I am. Mm. Well, at the very end of that scene, the screen tilts underside. Oh, yeah. So, it made me feel like this whole... Oh, speaking of which. (laughs) So, it made me feel like this. he's walking in hell. He's already dead. So, the reason why I think that... Going all the way back to the bandit, when he's captured, he's tied up, and when they leave, there's like some fancy visual goes on, and we see him as a skeleton. I think that represents his true death. So I think his true death is actually there, when what I mean is death of the character. Yeah. Because I think at that very point, he probably realized that he can't, like this idea of kindness, of no... Yeah, right, cause, human cause, interaction cause right of after trust. It's when he d- tries to exchange with Winifred. Exactly. Because before that, well, like I said earlier, he ne- he's not necessarily the kindest person either. Yeah. It, he is still a kind person and a general positive person. And then when he's with Winifred, he is about to jump in and help. And then he pauses and he's like, what do I get out of this yeah. kind of thing? So, yeah, I can agree with that. that like, there, there's a symbolic death of trust or something. Yeah. He, he loses... He loses some little bit of innocence there. Um, and so that whole, I'm just going to call them titans. I guess I could call them trolls or giants, but I'll call them titans. titans. When he sees the titans and the, and the screen goes 180 degrees, flips, it made me just feel like, you know, this is Hades. This is, I don't know if that really fits with the rest of I it. I think that was, someone was that, just really happy to do a 180 flip. <laughs> You know, it takes a lot of time to write a story. It's it's perhaps the one spot in the story where they're like, maybe they were high. Because, <laughs> yeah, the entire interlude section, uh, it's actually the section I remember the least, because that's right after Winifred 
uh, I forget how Winifred ends exactly. Oh, he, he gets the axe back. He gets the axe he, back. He puts the he puts her skull back on on with the rest of her body, and then the axe is there. So that is one thing about the the entire movie that I was sort of lost by. There had to have been some symbolic reason why he kept losing and regaining mm. the, the things he had been given when he left, but I couldn't piece it together. I can understand that with the girdle or the sash, whatever you want to call it, he was holding on to it too tightly. But at the same time, I'm like, well, mm. how did he get back there? And especially with the axe, he loses it to bandit guy, and then the axe just shows back up, and I'm like, I, 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 my head is telling me that some symbolic thing is happening because this movie, as we said, is very artistic. Nothing. I, I try not to take anything literally, but I'm like, well, what does that mean? Why is the axe back? What has he done? Like, has he done something to regain, quote unquote, the axe? I don't really see it. Also, the horse actually. By the okay, end, the he, horse. I... <laughs> like he loses the horse again with the bandits, and then he goes throughout the entire thing without the horse. And once he leaves the Green Knight, the Green Knight's Chapel, the horse is there. So I have three responses for each item. For the axe, I have no idea. Okay. That's my response. Nice. For the horse, I felt like that was just a plot device so that we don't have to see him take too long to get back. I mean, they could have just shown him walking. I guess so. I thought it was like, oh yes, so we can immediately just go back to him now being back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the third one, the girdle. So here's where the original story is helpful. Okay. The Lord turns out to be the Green Knight, I believe. Oh, okay. And the old lady who has the blindfold on turns out to be the stepsister of Arthur, which is AKA in the movie, his, the main character's mother, right? The connection there is that they both, the mother at the beginning actually puts on a blindfold as she's doing some magic stuff, right? And so there's a connection there. And the idea I think is that she gave him back the girl. I see. Yeah. To continue the yeah. test. Um, one random thought. The whole central part with the lady, mm-hmm. it was very interesting. It felt like prostitution. Essel and the lady is both played by the same actress, right? Yeah. And back at home, Essel is the prostitute, and she loves him and wants something from him, right? And he kind of has seems to have a little bit more power in that relationship. But in this place where, played by the same actress, the lady has something to offer him. And he needs to do fulfill some sort of central act a central test if you will (laughs) central test slash act to receive what he wants Mm -hmm. right he is basically prostituted to get this thing that he wants to protect himself anyhow just a thought yeah Uh, i had a thought about something and i think it's gone so gone. I have no more thoughts, I don't think, so it's all you from here. I just enjoy, again, artistic movie, everything I say is basically just the way I'm interpreting the movie. I did enjoy the, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So at the start, Arthur asked him to tell him some story about him, to learn to know about him more, and he's like, I haven't done anything yet. Uh, and then he goes on this journey and all the knights on the round table are legends. He knows them. They've all done great things. I don't personally know who the knights at the round table are, so I can't list all the great things they've done. But they have certainly done great things. And he wants to go do his own great deeds. And this journey he goes on is kind of not a fun journey. He goes out, he's kind of 
alone and he gets robbed and like he just loses some of his innocence and like trust in the world and at certain points he like he loses the thing that makes him a knight like he he fails to uplift all of that and then he comes back and it's a great story everyone praises him and stuff but like i guess that journey he went on like we, we can talk about the story and the, the legend and like it is black box and it can sound great but like i guess it's sort of the way people gloss up and glorify war and, and mm. warriors and how it's all great to be a, a battle-hardened warrior and stuff when you're actually there actually doing it there's nothing glorious about it um i quote yoda when luke was saying i'm looking for a great warrior which was which was yoda mm-hmm. yoda replies war does not make one great yeah, I agree. He did not look like a knight at all. It was never in question. He was always a... He never met the expectations to me of a knight. And I would take that the next step to say that no one meets up to mm. the expectations of a knight. Mm. Everyone's just constantly trying to, at every single point, live up to it and sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing. Mm. Yeah. Did you enjoy this movie? I enjoyed this movie. Yeah. It felt unique. There was good pacing. It's not overbloated with characters. Instead, it's over overbloated with symbols and themes. Yeah. Uh, which made it very interesting for I think both of us to try to decipher. Okay, what is the movie exactly trying to say? What is the, How do these all fit together? Yeah. Watching some video about someone talk about some video about Martin Scorsese talking about cinema. <laughs> Because that's where we're at in the world. <laughs> and he was basically saying that, like, he, the way I understood it, he wasn't knocking, like, Avengers or, like, mm-hmm. the, the MCU or any of these kind of movies. He was really saying that there's a difference between those movies and, like, the movies that people used to make. Like, when... Citizen I can't remember Kane. a single Martin Scorsese movie. Oh. Uh, silence. Movies of those times, like, that experience was a very different thing. Like, you went to a cinema... Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Sorry. You went to a cinema and, like, you, the audience, was getting to experience what the director and, you know, the writers and everything, like, a story they had to tell, a message, whatever. There was some artistic experience they were trying to put you through. Whereas, with these newer ones, you don't get a lot of that. Not that they're not good or interesting, but there's a very different point to it. There's a... It's almost... The entire thing is a product that you're being sold that's attached to other products. There's a theme park, there's, you know, know, merchandise and yada, yada, yada. And it's a whole, it's a completely different experience. I mean, he was saying one is cinema and one is not cinema. Mm. I think that is more controversial than he needed that statement to be. I think they're all cinema. They're just very, very different kinds of cinema. Yeah. And this movie is, you know, in that latter half of kind of cinema that I haven't seen in a very long time. So... Honestly, it's, it, it's actually refreshing for me to sit down and not care about plot things. Like the axe showing up and the horse showing up. These are things that in a very different movie, I'd be like, where did these things come from? I would have questions and be trying to break down the plot and everything. And here, I don't care. There was a message, maybe. And I want to try and figure it out. Yeah. Right? And even if there wasn't a message, it's not important because the movie was doing something else completely different. I totally agree. You know, you have house beat music and you also have classical music mm-hmm. you're not you know there's a place for house beat music it may not be as grandiose and and like interesting and thought-provoking as classical music but it has its place which Endgame, 
and all these other Avengers movies and the blockbuster movies that I think more often than not that's the movie we're going to tackle probably probably yeah <laughs> you now we wonder why but that's the, just the way things are but yeah. there's a place for them yeah. I wanted to go see Snake Eyes more than I wanted to go see Green Knight but with the power of hindsight I'm pretty sure I'm happy to have gone seeing Green Knight Snake Eyes is that the new Kung Fu one that's coming out yeah it's a continuation of or it's an origin story of G.I. Joe. Origin story for G.I. Joe. Well, of, of Snake Eyes. A thing we all needed. Remember when origin stories were like the hot commodity? I, oh man, how many Spider-Man origin stories have we got? How many Batman origin stories have we got? We all know that he, his parents got shot. The mother's pearls flew across and landed on the ground. I don't need any more anyone giving me There's that scene again. There's just something so delightful about seeing Bruce Wayne's parents die. <laughs> just so delightful. It's yeah. a masterpiece. Origin stories are... They're not good. Also, I'm joking. I'm not that cruel. He, he is. You can see him laughing. He's, he's got the evil glint in his eye. Yeah. I guess I, I can wonder a bit about the... So, I mean, the entire thing was a test. Saying what the point is is kind of weird, but what is the point of the test? Because this, it seemed to me like it was a, not a sporadic test, like it was, it was designed. The mother, Arthur, perhaps the Lord, they all had a part to play. And some of these, especially from what you're saying about the original, like some of this was designed specifically to test, maybe not Gawain himself, but to test someone. I wonder what the test was supposed to be, what the purpose of that whole testing was in yeah. some way. So for any of you English majors out there or English teachers, you know, I don't know the actual story. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to read it and write an essay about it unless one of you comes to me and threatens me to give me an F on a course I'm not taking. But I think the original, yeah, was the idea of just testing and through that you kind of see the interplay of, of fear versus nobility i think in this story though it's the desire to live versus these human constructs that we create so it's the human nature that you're talking about versus the human constructs that we try to uphold mm -hmm. right the idea of doing what's great what's do makes you legendary or worthy and even within the first 30 minutes, we see that, right? With people talk about how he gloriously slay the Green Knight. And it's like, no, the Green Knight put down his axe and gave his neck in a horizontal angle for a very nice clean cut, like would have been harder to chop butter at that point than <laughs> that guy's neck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The stories definitely did get uh, spiced up. Essel actually said, um, because he said he wanted to be great or something, and she said, why can't you just be good? Mm. Uh, so that was also very in line with, with the rest of it, mm. like uh, basically seeking greatness and perhaps the folly of seeking greatness mm. is... You remember all the great lines, man. I, I remember some of the things they said. Well, I, re I really liked these lines that you're pointing out. I mean, for some reason, I just forgot them. I was trying to remember... I'm so upset about the chapter titles. Yes. I tried the entire thing. I was like memorizing each chapter title, and then they got to when he's with the Lord and Lady, and it's an exchange of, and I couldn't read it. Like I was just looking at it, like what does that say? And then we get to the last one, and I couldn't read anything. They picked the weirdest font choices. 
like I understand that they want it to be stylized, but like if it's text you're putting on the screen that I'm supposedly to read for like a second, please put it in a font I can actually read. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have nothing else to add except one more thing. Mm-hmm. I was talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. Both have to do with Christmas. Bam. Done. Mm. That was actually very surprising. I did not know this was a Christmas. I mean, it's not actually a Christmas story, but I assume maybe the original poem was a Christmas story. I am happy that we're getting this take on an Arthurian legend. Arthurian legends in like modern retellings are usually very. They basically tell us we basically get the version that the legend is. Yeah. Right. If we had got I don't know some other studio that wasn't so committed to doing the original thing had done this, we would have probably gotten a very glorious mission and him going and getting stronger or fighting a great, great battle and defeating the Green Knight or something like that. And it would just been a much less interesting story, probably. Speaking of which, you just gave me another thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, King Arthur is by no means awesome or great in this movie. Honestly, does this movie even say... I don't know if it actually at any point says he's King Arthur. I just know it because... I have now looked yeah. up the original tale. I, I get that he's old, but even like as an old person, you just feel like he's some degraded king. Fits in line with everything else we're saying about like legends being too fantastical and people trying to aspire for things that are probably not true. Well, well, well. This has been a more thought-provoking episode. Maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully your thoughts have been provoked. Or maybe you have just been provoked. And if you've been provoked... You know what to do. Get in the comments. Let us know your thoughts. Like, yeah. subscribe, upvote, downvote. I don't care. Just vote. Vote, everybody. This is a democracy. Peace out.